Hello, welcome back to Sermon Notes. This is Garland. We got Clark. It is snowing outside. We're recording this on Tuesday of the snow apocalypse, and so oh, yeah. I'm getting ready to go be in the house with my kids for the rest of the week. Um, Good for you, Garland. So if I emerge on Sunday, we'll see what kind of mood I'm in from all that. Um, anyway, I'm glad you're joining us, everyone. Uh, we are finishing up Esther this week here in our four-week series. Um I've enjoyed it. No, it's been incredible. Isn't it a good I mean, story? Rarely do we get to just engage just good old fashioned narrative. It's just a, a good great it's story. It's a fun story, really well told. Um it's it's meant to it's meant to kind of make you laugh and smile and and you know turn your head a little bit at different times. So um we've made our way through the story. We don't we're not gonna do a full recap here. I think Tad did a great job last he week did. at the beginning of the sermon just to kind of fun in a fun way walk us through the story. And you could do that, but uh we've got our main characters. Uh we've seen Xerxes and uh his kind of the ridiculousness of Xerxes and it's been um it's been on display throughout. He's not presented favorably. Um I think every time he's on on the screen, uh, you know, kind of the metaphorical screen of this story, you're supposed to be kind of snickering at this guy. Oh, here's the all-powerful Xerxes, and yet he can't really do anything, and he's kind of a drunken mess. We've seen Haman, um, the Agagite descendant who plots to destroy uh, the people of Israel and throughout all of Persia, and he's got a date set that's going to come important here in chapter 9. And then we've seen uh, our, our faithful exiled Jews, and we've said at the beginning, we're reading uh, two pieces of, of exile literature, um, Daniel and Esther, and they do what exile literature does. They they invite us to consider the characters. Um, they make you know political points. They make um, satirical points, and then they give us um, some interesting perspective on what it looks like to be faithful to God, even in the midst of a culture that's difficult. And we've seen uh, Esther go from uh, kind of a passive agent to really the heroine of the story and we've seen Mordecai's um, just kind of kind of steady hand throughout yeah. and as the story's now reversed itself Haman's impaled on the very pole he's established to uh, to impale Mordecai on um, all the events turning on the king's sleeplessness even after a drunken uh, kind of a drunken uh, night of drinking yeah. here we are and we come to the end of the story and throughout the story there's a character who's never mentioned but I think the the clever reader um, obviously knows, man, look how Yahweh's providing for his people. And that brings us to chapter nine. So where are we going here as we finish it up and we get this uh, new institution thrown at us? That's fun. Ancient yeah. Jewish institution. So set the, us up here, the Clark. Festival of Purim we get. And um, it's a celebration uh, commemorating the tables being turned. It's inter- interesting the way the author even uses that phrase. Um, he says this in verse one on this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower him, but now the tables were turned. Hey, let's see what the Hebrew in that is. And uh, the, that's a good way to translate and that. And the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. And so it's a, it's a clever way to wrap up the story. And then at that point, he goes into detail of what happens in the battle. And Garland, one of the things I wanted to know, did you find the Greek on that or the Hebrew? No, I hadn't found it yet. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to note um, here is that the focus is they, uh, as the tables are turned, the Jews get the upper hand. It's The focus seems to be more on the relief they get from the destruction that was coming their way, um, not so much the vengeance they exact on their enemies. 
but it feels like the author seems to try to make the point that they were defending themselves against the first edict mm-hmm. that was coming their way. And so, but however you package that, um, you still have a war happen here. Mm-hmm. And in a couple of days window, you have almost 76,000 people mm-hmm. um, die in this, this battle. It's not just uh, the battle that happens in the city of Susa, but it's actually across all the provinces. And so there's some speculation as to when the news got back to the success of their defense. Um, but that's what we have here um, in this scene. And so um, the Jews end up, like you said, by, by the end of this little narrative, uh, killing and destroying um, over 75,000 of their enemies. Um, the other thing that was interesting, Garland um, may or may not get to address this in the teaching, is this idea of plunder. And they had some, op- some options there, um, to plunder or not to plunder. <laughs> and in their defense of themselves, they did take out Haman's sons, and they were impaled um, publicly and, um, and hung in front of everyone. Um, this will be a this will be a treat to teach them. Someday. Oh yeah, yeah it's what, be what a cheery story at but, the end. But they chose not to plunder. And I think there's some historical references. If if you were them then, and you understood that scene um, in First uh, Samuel 31, I think is is where that's talked about, um, where Saul was publicly mocked and displayed mm-hmm. um, when he was captured by the Philistines, and he didn't take out Agag. Um, but they did plunder. Mm-hmm. And in this case, um, it's a little bit of a reversal there as well, mm-hmm. in that now they are basically, you know, um, they're bringing Haman's sons and Haman himself in front, and, and they're hanging there impelled. Um, but they choose not to plunder. And again, it's just, I don't know what you call it, like these little gospel themes, but there is God coming alongside of them in defense of them, but they don't seem to be eager to take advantage of those through plundering the people. And so you could read a lot into that or not, but it is mentioned at least three different times that mm-hmm. they made that decision. Yeah. So obviously if, if you're going to be just reading chapter nine straight through, yeah. um, you know, there is some work you got to do. I think just for modern readers, especially it is, there is some violence in it and there's been violence throughout the story. One of the things we've noted as we've gone along is um, the Bible is not, giving us uh, a bunch of stories as stories necessarily to emulate. It's telling us stories that have happened, stories that were told and retold. Um, but as you're reading this in small group, um, just know that it's a, it's a, the story begins kind of violently in this chapter. And one of the things I think we're going to have to wrestle with is, is that violence and what that looks like. Um, and so just dealing with that, recognizing that um, an edict has gone out uh, to attack and, and it's, destroy it's these people. It's already in play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not reversed yeah. at this yeah. point. And they're essentially responding by defending themselves. At least that's how the earlier language words it. And obviously we have a a more recent historical example of very similar edicts going out. And it, we, as, as I look at the situation and try to place myself in the situation, I think it's easier for me to read it right now and go, God, this is a weird chapter. I don't like it. Look at all the violence. Then I got to place myself in, these kinds of situations and go, what in the world would I do? How do you respond Mm -hmm. um, to things like this? And like we've said throughout Esther, um, 
it's a, it's a story. It's inviting you in to consider. It's inviting you in to think and um, not tying everything up with a nice, neat little little bow at the end. And maybe just for, for your sermon notes listeners, we have to acknowledge that, recognize that. And so yeah. if, you, if you're doing this in a small group with some of your discipling, the chapter doesn't end and give a... a a bow for that. And so just don't, don't, uh, do a disservice to maybe somebody in your group or somebody you're discipling who maybe has that question or that doubt or it, it's unsettling for them. Um, it, it's okay. Acknowledge yeah, that. Like let them, it, yeah, let it. them go there. Yeah. Um, ultimately in the scriptures, we're going to see that all the injustice and all the violence in the, in, in the evil in the world will both be dealt with in Jesus's cross and in the justice of Jesus, uh, in the end. And so, yeah. um, we can, we can have some confidence there, um, but don't squash out uh, some of that unease in reading a chapter like this. Um, well, but, the battle, you know, in light of that, it gives way um, to this relief from their enemies, and then they institute this festival called mm-hmm. Purim and ends up being a multi-day experience. Um, I think a, a more modern-day word we might use that we would understand would be more like a carnival mm-hmm. for them. Big where party. The children would dress up eventually and... Um, and then they would actually read sections of Esther to commemorate this day of God's faithfulness. And so, I, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. Think of some of the other festivals that the Jewish, the Jews would celebrate um, in terms of relief. And I, my first thing that I come that comes to mind for me is the Exodus, mm-hmm. the Passover celebration, mm-hmm. which is obviously can be a more somber remembrance, but it's a it's a celebration or remembrance of God's rescue. And you have a similar thing happen here. This one seems to be, like I said, more like a carnival mm-hmm. where they're celebrating. And actually, said these are some of the um, descriptions of what's happening here. Sorrows turn to joy, relief from enemies, mourning to celebration. And then this was interesting. They give presents of food. I know you and I would love that. Cheese dip. Yeah, no doubt. To one another, but they also give gifts to the poor. Mm-hmm. And so while they celebrate... It's not just a, it's more of a selfless presentation of celebration versus a selfish version of that, um, just to celebrate victory. Um, there's this, there's these rhythms of grace giving that are happening inside the celebration as well. Well, we might need to acknowledge even, we've, we've intentionally, as we've gone through Esther, we've tried to keep the tone and the mood, even of our services, um, you know, up, celebratory, That's light. Right. Um, you know, we've we've tried not to go heavy and dark in the series. And here's why. It's because Esther's read at Purim, and Purim's a big party. Um, like a, you know, it, it's a, Passover's a big, it's a party, but it's a somber party. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's actually a rabbi, uh, an ancient rabbi who says at the Feast of Purim, now I'm not, we're not endorsing this, uh, but he says, uh, at the Feast of Purim, you should drink so much wine that you can no longer tell the difference between Mordecai and Haman. And so, as as we're reading yes that's how that's the environment in which it's being read and what that i think uh can you say we're not endorsing that again we're not endorsing yeah. that again yeah we're not we're not saying you should it's a rabbi okay that's right. uh we need one of us are rabbis yeah. so um but it does bring to mind and i think this is important and uh this might be worth a, a brief discussion here and this would be i think make for a really good discussion a small group in a, in our world where man it seems like right now we hear so much bad, so much news that's heavy, uh, so much division. People, you know, if you don't have a, a hot take, a brash take, a dramatic take, a, you know, the most severe take, then you don't make the, the airwaves, you don't get the posts. And so, you know, we've all, we all know that's going on in our culture around yeah. us. 
it's interesting. You got a marginalized people group, um, the ancient Israelite community. Um, they're in exile, and yet they ha- they're called every year to have these big old parties and to remember and yeah. to do so happily. And so it brings up an interesting thing to, that we can maybe comment on right here is how do we celebrate? You know, yeah. we celebrate our country's independence. We celebrate our birthdays every year. We celebrate anniversaries. We have calendar occasions where we celebrate things. Um, it's ironic that one of the main ones around Christianity, Christmas, has gotten eaten up by so much consumerism. Mm-hmm. But it brings up a question. How do we celebrate God's faithfulness? And even to do so smiling and yeah. you know, with pe- people that we love and care about. Um, this book of Esther ends with a... A, a telling of a, a feast feast yeah. that they do every year. And that's why the book of Esther which, is probably written, which, you know, to, to build on that a little bit, Garland, um, over 23 different times, there's a reference to food, feasting, fasting, or banquets. Mm-hmm. And so just chasing that idea, follow the food and it tells the story the for Esther, you, yeah. the highs and the mm-hmm. lows. And so one way I think that we can do this and, and we try to do this in our home and on different occasions is, is just to celebrate um, through and during a meal and then celebrate verbally with one another God's faithfulness in our lives the previous year or to notice specific um, deliverance from something or something that God's done specifically in your home, in the Autry home, in the Nolan home, and verbally appreciate God's work in that scene. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we, we actually did this this past Thanksgiving at my in-law's house, and we ran around the table after we ate a big meal together, and we verbalized specific ways that God had shown up in 2022. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the scene, there were some of us crying, but there was just so much fullness and joy mm-hmm. in that moment. Yep. And it was around good food. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think that sometimes we, we joke about the food part of it, but there's a better and bigger banquet coming one day that captures the ultimate joy. That'll preach. Oh, oh it's yeah, coming. That'll preach. Yeah, it will. <laughs> I know we have a friend that uh, he tries to say, uh, and he says it frequently, um, where's God been faithful? Where's God been good in the last week? It's just a rhythm of his life he likes to try to keep up with. Is In the last week, where have I seen God at work? And yeah. may we be that kind of people that, yes, I get it. We live in a, we, we're, we live somewhat as exiles in the modern world. And we look around us and go, man, this is strange. And they don't get us. Would one of the things that mark us be, man, those, those Jesus followers know how to celebrate God and what he's doing. And I don't get what they're all about, but they yeah. sure do seem happy about it. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things that's been difficult watching us even in these last few years is, don't we have the joy of life here in us with Jesus? And so, um, yeah, while, while in a seemingly world that feels less and less like our home, there's actually an expectation. And we'll see this in the fall in our study in Philippians. Paul has this extreme expectation that we walk in great joy, independent mm-hmm. of our circumstance. Mm-hmm. That's how he ends the letter mm-hmm. to the Philippians. And so you see them living that out. They're still in exile technically when they're celebrating. Mm-hmm. And so there's a collision of, these elect exiles, if you will, living in a space of joy right yeah, now. Yeah, imagine the neighbors, the the Persian neighbors, you know, <laughs> going, they're having this party again, but they're 
They don't have good jobs. Nobody respects them, and yet they keep every year they throw the same part. Their kids dress up. What are they doing? Like yeah, but but Yahweh's God, and He's in charge of this. They're like, no, no, no. Marduk's God. He's in charge of this. No, no, no. He's going to get His. We know. Read. Let's tell you the story of Esther again. Um, They're just they're good at that. We and we should be. Hey uh, Garland, let's end with this. Um, uh, I was reading uh, last week Proverbs twenty one one where it says the king's heart is like a river in the hands of God, and he he uh, he moves it wherever he wishes. There's a variety of different versions in terms of how it's stated, but you see that here, and you you see that in Romans thirteen one where there's no governing authority established except by the hand of God. And for all the, you know, the hard time that we've given King Xerxes at the end of the day, both him and Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel, we'll see that God's working a grand plan and he's sovereign even over the greatest world rulers of all time mm-hmm. and um, their power and strength. He humbles them. Uh, obviously, King Xerxes um, looks like a fool multiple times <laughs> in this book. But it is interesting. By the end, um, Mordecai is elevated to second in rank um, in King Xerxes' kingdom. And listen to these phrases. Preeminent among the Jews, held in high esteem because he worked for the good of his people and he spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. And I can't help knowing this side of the New Testament but think of someone else who would be preeminent among the Jews, the preeminent Jew, who would be one of low esteem but would be promoted to one of high esteem, and who did good for the people. And I think there's some gospel hoofbeats that if you don't have to look too hard mm-hmm. to see them here. And we see that in Mordecai. And, um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of that in the, in the teaching. But for those of you who are listening, you hear this before um, our teaching, we are going to celebrate communion here, and we're going to celebrate our festival of remembrance, if you will. And so as we finish up Esther this week, um, be preparing your heart for the communion experience. And we're going to do it in a more celebratory way. Um, It won't feel like a Palm Sunday um, because we're going to celebrate the goodness and grace of the Lord through communion. So it's been a good ride. I'm looking forward to Daniel. Um, Daniel, next week we got some intro coming. Um, Oh, man. Yeah. We got a lot to do. Do we know what we're getting ourselves into in Daniel? I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> it's going to be good. May May this Sunday be a somber celebration, you know, a somber celebration. Yeah. Uh, that's what a wedding is. That's what communion is, Passover. And yeah. so we celebrate God's goodness. We do so seriously. We do so thoughtfully. It's not just mindless party. Um, but we have the great the greatest story to tell. So, man, let's party. Let's do it. Um, but to celebrate uh, our God and who, what he's done for us. So um, thanks for listening to Sermon Notes. Uh, we hope this has been helpful. Stay warm. As the week continues, you'll be hearing this. I'm sure the storm will be passed. So uh, enjoy your week. See you Sunday.